You know things, I know some too. Sit right down, the fam explain them to you. If there's a thing you wanna explain, these two feminists can entertain. Nerdy stuff, sexy stuff, so much to know. Tune in for the Femsplain Show. Femsplain! Oh, I'm so excited to be talking to you, Diana. Hi, Avalon. This is a private conversation that no one else gets to listen to. Welcome oh to that. Why didn't we format it that way? That would have been so much better. <laughs> All right. Shh. Dark shift in the entire podcast. This is a private conversation. Yeah, and between two girls, like one on one, like kind of like a, a a clubhouse podcast, like yeah. a girls only clubhouse podcast. Yeah, we're like two yeah. queer femme individuals. <laughs> we're talking <laughs> about whatever they like. They're talking about flowers, boys, Spice Girls, the color pink, being bad at math but good at communications. Uh, parking. We're bad at parking, right? Hoping that or we driving. never have to parallel, parallel. park. Um, yeah. Really looking forward to developing huge breasts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and periods. Yeah, we talk about our periods exclusively on this podcast. And nail art. Yeah. Oh, totally nail art. So even though this is a girls only clubhouse podcast <laughs> and a very private camp conversation that none of you are invited to, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually mean you're not invited we actually want you to come and listen laugh and learn with us on this podcast journey yeah Um, but um it's really important to know that you can listen but you cannot talk to us because we think it's really important that we occupy this space for just us because we put a lot of effort into building this clubhouse yeah it's our treehouse get out no no boys allowed yeah no boys Uh, allowed yeah anyone allowed all right, so last week on Femsplain. The fuck did we talk about last week? We talked about Neopets. Oh we my god, about- I thought we were talking about Neopets right now for some reason. <laughs> for some weird, serious conspiracy of a reason. Wow, I forgot we already uh, did that. No, we talked about Neopets last week and it was right. mega fun. And I don't know about you, but I've been playing with my Neopet and I have been keeping up with it. Have you have you fed Diana the pterodactyl or whatever the fuck Diana Not the since bird? We recorded. <laughs> Not <laughs> since I did it while we were recording. But after we stopped recording last time, I did stay on there for about half an hour buying books and making Diana read them. And now Diana is like above average intelligence because I felt badly that that was your stat. That my intelligence was low? Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, I'm more like a wisdom yeah. than an intelligence. I, I get it. I think both. It's fine. Um, have you created a new Neopet named Avalon yet? I haven't because I what need to fuck? accumulate more funds because Mar, the, the, the Mirka, is starving. So, Abandon um, that Mar, the Mirka. Look, I, you know, I, 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 I got I you a stick- pet pet, Diana. <laughs> well, all right. It's the cheapest one. It was made out of cardboard. <laughs> oh, that came in your, in your introduction well, packet. I yeah, but I went out of my way to equip you with it. Yeah, I I, uh, I do appreciate that. Thank you so much, Diana. Why haven't you talked about my haircut yet on the podcast where all the listeners? Oh, that's can see. right. 
because Avalon got a brand new shiny haircut and her haircut yeah. is now short and cute and it's just like a little bit bobby but it's got a little I curl feel a little to flappery, it. It's, yeah. Yeah, a little flappery. It's just it's real fun. Like Avalon is in her real life. Yeah. But also, okay, oh, in addition oh. to looking up Neopets stuff and doing Neopets things, I also maybe stumbled Neopets. Would you stumble I, on? All right. It's not so much stumbling when you open up archive of our own and start searching, but I I went and found some Neopets fan fiction. <gasps> uh, <laughs> My favorite. Which I knew there would be. Oh, I yeah. just really didn't understand what what the extent would be like. So anyway, I just I you know, I'll send you more yeah, you in will. in private, but like what I just want to highlight is that if any everyone could go look up the fan fiction Shake Your Milky Chocolate Shirt by Raven <laughs> Blue, the tagline, the the you know <laughs> the the hook to try to get you to open this is just the quote pregnant Dakota promised me his firstborn. So I just want everyone to go ahead and read that fan fiction. And get back to me. I want notes. I want... Did you... The pronouns? You said the pronouns correctly in that? That was how it was written? Yeah. Okay. Not going to question it. Just... Nope. Just wanted to question it, and now I'm not going to question it. (laughs) No, don't question it anymore. Anyway, that's what we did last week. The fuck are we doing this week? I think we need (sighs) to bring in an expert. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) A man expert. Fly him in. A penis. We need a penis to tell us. Yeah. Fly in that penis. Yep. It's going to write this topic with his dick and tell us what it's about. In the sky. Um, in the sky, sky writing. In a man's Putting one minute on the man watch and go. Rent. Do I know about Rent? (laughs) Yeah, I think I know a little bit about Rent, okay? I saw it on Broadway when I was living in New York City. You know, Manhattan. Let me guess, you like Seasons of Love? That's cute. I can sing every line of Rent. Don't believe me? Here we go. December the 24th. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, we shoot without a script. See if anything comes of it instead of my old shit. First shot, Roger. Tuning the Fender guitar. He hasn't played in a year. This thing won't tune, so we hear. He just got back from half a week of withdrawal. Are you talking to me? Not at all. Holds its red. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. And that's the Mansplain Minute. Wow. Okay. Well, he's passionate. Yeah, it, it, he really likes Rent. Yeah. Uh, which is lucky because I really like Rent. And there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to femsplain about this show in particular. Like, I would love to do other things in musical theater, but this has been a topic that I've wanted to talk about since probably early on when we started the podcast. I want to challenge the legitimacy of this topic. All right, I know. Irrelevant. Avalon hates it. it. It's irrelevant, blah, blah, blah. 
Avalon, what? you don't you I know that you want to be shitty about this topic, but I'm going to be. I'm just I, I'm just starting to warm up. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, take your time, I guess. So, all right, I'm just to appease Avalon <laughs> and also uh, the listeners probably hopefully. Rent is a musical. It is a musical that that uh, ran on Broadway uh, starting in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was a, a musical written by Jonathan Larson that was based on an old opera uh, called La Boheme in the late 1800s that focused at the time on poor artists and their struggle with uh, not only just being struggling artists, but also uh, with tuberculosis, which was at the time that that was written was the big oh you're referring um, to La Boheme disease yeah. Yeah, yeah uh rent now taking up that mantle and making it modern was talking about poor artists in new york city uh and their struggle with things like aids and and evictions and and other other modern day struggles that uh, mirrored that so um it's it is still a, a phenomenal um show it's but it was in particular a very pivotal uh, show for very many reasons, and that's why I've wanted to explain about it because it's it's not just a, a musical; it's an important uh, musical, and I uh, live and die by that. So anyway. yeah, I think it is an important uh, cultural milestone. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. agree. Okay. I'm surprised to learn that it started on Broadway. I would have assumed that it was one of those things that was like off Broadway, and then it like got popular, and then they brought it to Broadway. Okay, not like well, Mary actually... Poppins, but you know, like. Yeah. No, it actually does have an interesting story. It didn't it didn't immediately start on Broadway. It was kind of built from scratch. So Jonathan Larson, who wrote this show, one of the first actors that that he picked up for the show was Anthony Rapp, who for that everybody knew from like Dazed and Confused. And that was his like um he had a couple of like small roles in in, in film and media and he was acting. But at this time, when he met Jonathan Larson, he was like waiting tables and and doing survival work. So he meets Jonathan Larson, who's got this vision, and he actually was being cast as Jonathan Larson's self-insert character, the like observer character, the one that's not really necessarily feeling like he's affected directly by all of these horrible things he's seeing around them around him but that it's affecting all the people he loves and so he's he's the the cameraman the narrator mm. the the person who's watching it happen and feels like it needs to be told yeah so that was jonathan larson's vision of what he wanted to do it was definitely a labor of love it was definitely a a, a ground-up project and you know they they started with a lot of you know a lot of those actors that we now know as the original cast were either very little known or in the case of uh the actor that played roger he was a never before had done any acting period you're talking about the play or the film cast uh for both uh actually uh the film cast was mostly that's unusual all the original except for obviously rosario dawson the actress that played Mimi in the original Broadway cast was pregnant when they did the film. Oh, that must be frustrating. 
Wait, very because she's iconic. Was Mimi the annoying one? Mimi's the one that you don't like because of the Spanish babies line. Oh, I, oh, oh, Rosario Dawson. Okay, yeah. yeah I was yeah. thinking that Mimi was the annoying one. The annoying and one. And I was like, that that girl is so famous. She must have been in the original. What the hell? Oh, is her that's name? Idina Menzel. Yeah, who that, plays that lady. Yeah, Maureen, <laughs> who is written to be an annoying character. I know. She's yeah, and and she you know she does it well. Mimi. Ugh, that name is so gross. Makes me think of like what someone in Connecticut calls their grandma. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Mimi Marquez is obsessed uh, with Spanish babies. Obsessed with she says it one She's obsessed time. with cats, Spanish babies, and heroin. Well, she is unfortunately obsessed with heroin. That's therein lies the the problem. But um, Mimi is actually the only character whose name is literally translated from the La Boheme character yeah. that she's based off of. That makes sense. Uh, everyone else has, like, sort of, like, Roger's, like, Rodolfo and Ben. Benny is, I think, Benoit. And, like, they have, like, they're sort of, the character names are sort of derived from the originals. But Mimi is the only one that's exactly the same. And because hers is literally, she's the, the character with uh, whose HIV struggle is the most, uh, I guess, focal or poignant. Yeah, and in she's straight. And in, because she... Because they because had to, she if doesn't, you get an HIV positive gay character, HIV positive straight character, who's going to pull through? I think I missed the part where Mimi Marquez is straight, but... Oh. But... This show, obviously, in 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 my in my modern lens, would have would have one problematic part that I would call it, and it is not Mimi Marquez. It is not, and I'll fight babies. anyone. Uh, Angel is is perfect, and he's perfectly portrayed, and he's wonderful. But it is actually Maureen. Maureen is the problematic part. She's the only bisexual character, and she's a ch- chronic cheater, and that is a fucking hella bad stereotype yeah and, i appreciate that you yeah and that's 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 the one that annoys me the most honestly in terms of representation the show was way ahead of its time it was ahead of its time for sure way ahead in the case of angel dumak chunard he is never explicitly referred to as trans he's more referred to as a as a drag queen as somebody who's gender fluid he refers to himself by both pronouns at different points in the show and okay. so does everyone else so it's kind of not a um you know my my for a while i kind of was thinking that it was a sloppy or or kind of problematic uh portrayal of a trans person but then yeah. i I, I, but then on rewatching it, I realized that they never uh, ad- address him as being trans. They, they explicitly kind of portray Angel as gender fluid or or gender nonconforming more so than anything else. So I love that character. Um, in terms of Mimi Marquez, I I also love her for many reasons, like the fact that she's. <laughs> I mean, the fact that she's a stripper. I was about and... to say you just like her because she's a stripper, but then I didn't because I thought that was mean. <laughs> no, it's not mean. It's real. She's portray- So she's a stripper. That's what she's she does. But her 
her redemption arc is all about her needing to one quit doing heroin and to start taking care of her illness and has nothing to do with her needing to quit her job and like do something better like that's because that's always the redemption arc in media for strippers it's like you you know you need to escape the life uh that's like your redemption arc being a stripper and a drug addict though well, the thing is, that's that's super common. I mean, you get that, that's it's it's just a um, not that it is a necessary part of that lifestyle, but it is a it is a common thing that you see, especially among younger dancers and especially among inner, inner city dancers, because working those hours, working in that party lifestyle just like how drug use is super common in every type of entertainment industry. You're right. Uh, stri- uh, stripping and sex work in general has about the same statistical drug use as any other entertainment uh, job. Musicians yeah. and, and other people who do weird hours, uh, late nights, lots of parties, things like that. It, that is just realistic. Well, I think drugs are bad. Well, I do. I obviously think drugs are bad, and I think that they're especially bad if you are already very ill and need, you know, to get better. But her, you know, her struggle with her struggle with nihilism was what uh, was what her character arc was about. She needed yeah. to give a shit about herself, and she needed to not destroy. Did she, but did she need body. to give a shit about herself because she was validated by a relationship? You know, it was. With her and Roger, which every relationship in this besides uh, Collins and Angel is fucked up. Yeah. They're all, all, the re- all the romantic relationships are all shitty and fucked up. Yeah. Which, not to call anybody out, but somebody tried to tell me that the relationship between Collins and Angel was toxic because they were stereotypical and like, go fuck yourself. But anyway, that's a different point. So, so with Mimi and Roger, Roger is he can't and has not let go of the fact that his ex and him did heroin, got AIDS by by, you know, using probably dirty needles and and off the street drugs what? sharing. I don't remember yeah. this part. Maureen has AIDS? Oh, no, I What's Did happening? I say Maureen? You said his no, ex. Said- Wasn't that his ex? No, no. Okay, I'm sorry. No, so it's okay. Roger's it's ex, Roger's um, girlfriend, April. It's it's in the first line of the play. All right. Uh, my Roger's ex, April, left a note on their bathroom mirror saying, "We've got AIDS," and then slit her wrist in the bathroom. That's that's Is that in the, the movie? start of the show. Was that in the movie? Yeah, in the movie they show more. In the play, it's just Mark says that. He yeah, just says that, that literally out loud and goes, uh, his girlfriend April left a note saying we've got AIDS and then slit her b- wrist in the bathroom. In the movie, they fucking show the whole, they show them getting diagnosed together. They show them shooting up together. It's like really, oh, they geez. get they get pretty explicit in the, in the movie. I hate needles. So maybe I was closing my eyes. I, I hate needles as well. But so that, so, so Roger's issue is that um, him and his girlfriend in his rock star days. So th- it's similar, like he was when he's young in his twenties, like 
living as a, a musician in New York City, did oh, a lot of drugs okay. with his, you know, hot young girlfriend, and they got AIDS. She couldn't deal, killed herself. He's trying to live, but he's at the same time not really living. He's not he's not really taking care of himself. He's not leaving the house. He's not engaging with anything. He's assumed in his head that this is that that life is over. And that was one of the things that made this play very important to me mm. and to a lot of other people. So not just in terms of AIDS. In the in the in the late 90s still we were still coming off of this um, I mean, the, the AIDS panic, the AIDS epidemic, yeah. the fear, the gay cancer, the all all of the fears associated with that were still very yeah. much alive. It wasn't queer eye time yet. No, no, certainly not. So that was a big part of it, but not just with AIDS, because now, even though the, the social stigma was still there, medication was starting to catch up and people were starting to, you know, be able to live with this illness Mm -hmm. which was something that we didn't think was going to happen now for me as a you know when the first time I saw this show I was I went with my theater group in high school Hmm. I was 16 years old we sat in the front row Tom Collins spit all over me when he sang the reprise of I'll cover you Anyway, it was beautiful. But yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. I didn't realize it was still running. Oh, I, I mean, that's well, like actually, I don't years, know right? if it's still running. I no, no, I mean that. that it was still running when you were in high school. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, definitely. That's awesome. So, so I oh, saw, yeah. uh, that was the original Broadway cast that I saw that. Really? Movie. Yes. They did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I feel like nowadays but, a show, you got like three months of the cast. Yeah, that's true. So me and my theater group, you know, my, 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 my friend Ryan, who at the time was still sporting a beard, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and me, a little hidden queer mess happening in my head. In that row, I don't know how many people total were closeted, but it was a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so not only were we sitting there and listening to them shout, out literally in one song in 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 um la vie bohème these characters get jump on top of a table and shout proudly that they are i i don't you know like i almost even still feel like like i can't say these words but it was amazing because they literally shout what are commonly known to be gay slurs uh, against the community, but they shout proudly that they are them and sing and dance and like make out with each other while they're doing it. And to hear that, not just like, but instead of like the, you know, solemn coming out story, instead of the like, hello, I, 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 I want, I want you to know and accept me as a homosexual person, which is also still, you know, relevant and good. Instead of that, but people jumping up on tables and shouting, you know, I'm a dyke, like out to the audience mm-hmm. and getting people cheering, like people yeah. standing up in the audience and screaming as the as they're yelling, like they they yell out these slurs and then uh, yell to you and you and you, you and you and the audience like jumping up and being like to me, like and like people screaming that like. Because they were being called these slurs now 
for the first time and it was being reframed into a positive into a, a, a declaration which was amazing for me yes that was a huge deal but this also like this overarching theme about illness and i had just been diagnosed with lupus probably the year before at the time everything about that was like there was like a, a an, an average of 10 years past diagnosis at the time really yeah at that time when you know when i was looking things up you know that was the average obviously it was a little skewed there were thing factors like women of color who had lupus had a higher rate of of death or early death yeah, uh, that's color have the, a higher rate of any disease death. yeah but it also affects them more uh, lupus is is known to affect women of color more often there's a there's a lot of factors there that that skewed that but overall still the average being 10 years at that time to a 14 year old was really you know intimidating jesus i feel like that's an understatement yeah it was really terrifying yeah. i like every time i got a cold for like a couple of years i was like this is the end oh god uh <laughs> how was that not part of our anxiety episode uh you know uh, <laughs> Machiavellian. So that so now on top of that, watching this show that is about and they say it multiple times explicitly about living with a disease, not dying from a disease. And that is like a repetitive arc in this in this story is that some of these characters like Mimi, her inability to quit doing drugs is because she's given up. Roger's defiance against forming relationships is because he's given up. He's just assumed that this disease kills him and he won't, you know, he won't drag anybody into that. Mimi, she's going to live moment to moment. She's not going to invest in anything. She's not going to go to school or whatever. She's not going to bother quitting heroin because why not? This disease is going to kill her anyway. Their redemption, the two of them, and yes, it does come from forming their relationship with one another, but it is also about deciding that they can live with this disease and that they get to live actual lives. The the turning point, you know, really being, well, like Angel's. Uh, I think spoilers arc. are okay. Yeah. Spoilers are okay. This, yeah. is, this is written like in 1998. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Angel's death, which is. I think it's kind of it's poignant that the the healthiest relationship doesn't get to survive because it is the in doing so it's it's so damaging to the other characters that it makes them all like if 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 Angel and Collins don't get to survive why would you know Mimi and Roger why would uh why would anybody get to survive and they all have to go on their fucking self-destructive journeys together to... Anyway, Avalon, so I'm sorry, because I'm just like, I, I could just really ramble about rent all night. <laughs> no, you don't owe me an apology for that, but obviously the, the relevance that it held and holds to your life obviously makes it hard for me to make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and now so I sorry. feel like... I love Rent so much. 
I do not accept this. You promised me that you would be shitty about this, and I want to hear it. I no, want to hear this. But it, it's all just, you know, it all seems petty now. Well, you be petty. It sounds it's okay. like a really beautiful it's, show. It's a really meaningful show. It's a really beautiful show, but at the same time, you know, there are some silly parts. I get it, you know? All right. So I'm not going to be able to be mean about it, but I will just be honest. Okay. Hit me with it. I have to love theater to like theater. Yeah. You're not like a, a born and bred theater theater kid. Yeah. Sometimes if something really strikes me, I can be super moved by it and super into it. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. And mm-hmm. Rent is not something that I've seen on stage. I've only seen the film. One of the things that makes me struggle with theater, and, and this is a preference thing, it's not a bad thing, is um, when it takes a little bit more of an opera approach in that conversational dialogue is sing-songy. Oh, okay. Well, um, Rent, I mean, obviously. And I, and I yeah. like, have a really hard time with that always. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was the case with Rent, which I, I didn't expect going into it. And it, like, made me like, oh, no. Oh, wow. And this. it wasn't even that bad in the movie, too. In the sh- in the <sighs> stage play, it's all sing-songy. There's, like, I almost no that. dialogue. No, I, I oh. really struggle with that. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and so that's, that that's a me thing. That's not like an objectively bad thing. Um, I just, I want regular dialogue and acting and then occasional singing or no singing, depending on what the play is. Yeah. Yeah, he was he, he was really trying to model it after the opera. And that, uh, so creatively, that decision yeah. totally makes sense. But like, it's just always very awkward. And it always takes me out of it. I'd rather them just actually be singing. I don't like the talk singing. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get that. I just, oh, it just makes me crazy. So that's probably, that's probably 90% of my problem with Rent Mm -hmm. uh, is that I could not get emotionally invested because I was just like, oh, why why is it doing this right now? The other 10% is the Spanish babies. Yeah, I think the other 10% is how much I fucking hate that line in Let's Go Out Tonight, which is already a stupid song. I think that I <gasps> I thought, love that song! Okay. I think a lot of the song writing, I think, is good, but then the content seems almost always so trite to me that it, like, trivializes the drama of the whole thing. Like, the cool factor that I feel like Rent is going for and does not achieve um, really undermines the emotions that the story is supposed to be provoking. I would rather it just be like dark, straight up, yeah. than like so playful about the darkness. Like it just doesn't really. It's another thing where I, I just it takes me out of it. Yeah. Well, you. Oh God, I don't even know how to. Well, the, all right. So, so my 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 def, oh, my defense there, I guess, is that I really do like that. Most of these conversations, these are their daily lives. You know, these are the daily lives of people who are poor artists of different sorts living in New York City in the late 90s. Like, so, yeah, you know, they're going to have their 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 dialogue, their their communications with each other are going to be kind of mundane some of the time. But then also some of the time they're talking about trying to convince each other to go to, you know, HIV positive support groups, things like that. But I, I think... I think there's a lot to be said for for including those like those very unimportant 
conversations. Those sure. Like kind of, I think you know, like, showing those kind of honest moments can be a great sort of juxtaposition to drama, but it was like almost all those moments with the occasional drama. And I would rather like change that ratio. Yeah. Here's another thing that's a <laughs> me thing and is maybe going to not make sense. Okay, I'm curious. I don't think I heard this one. I have a lot of feelings about New York City as a character that exists in so many of our cultural works of fiction. Yes. And in combination with my own personal sort of experiences in New York and feeling about New York, I am I was not ever in love with New York. I was not ever charmed by New York. And I think I started to grow kind of resentful of the, the romance and the mythos of New York City. And the role that New York City plays in Rent, I think, kind of like touched that nerve for me where at the end of the day, because I admittedly like don't get it, like I don't get the New York charm, I'm just like, why the fuck are you living there? Like, why... As artists, like, do you really have to be in this one slum building? Like, you, you have to. You have to not pay rent to your friend and, like, constantly be facing eviction because you have to be in proximity to what? Like, I feel like all of these people's problems were, like, kind of seeded in this, like, New York artist, heroine, dirty, romanticized vibe that I creatively... I just don't really connect with it. Um, it's it's maybe fair to not connect with that because it's a fair argument. Like, the, why don't you just go somewhere else to to be an artist? And it's not like I'm actually it's, thinking that they should all, like, pack up and go to Santa Fe. But I think it's just, like, it's not like I think it's a plot hole. It's just something else that keeps me from connecting with it emotionally. I think that that's just genuinely what Jonathan Larson kind of saw happening to the people around them. They they really thought that New York City was the place they had to be. Yeah, for, and I think and, that's and true that for is 80s real. and 90s like people, New York. Yeah, people feel really, even still, like, very connected to New York City as, you know, as a, a almost like a, a character, like you were saying, or like a, um, like its own character in the show. And people feel like they, especially if they're artists, especially if they're, you know, involved in something theatrical, like that they have to be in New York City. Yeah. And that um, totally makes sense. Yeah. I just have a thing. Yeah. I'm like Which over New York as a significant placeholder in works. Yeah. That is not like a criticism that makes sense. That's not something that I feel like they should change. It's just another barrier for me with connecting yeah. to it. And if you think about La Boheme, you know, I'm sure that Paris in some capacity, like that that mirror was necessary with New York. I don't think that that would have necessarily been the same kind of mirror in like Houston um, uh, or Chicago even. No. Chicago probably makes more sense. But I just, yeah, I just, the like the gritty New York, I just like, don't fucking care yeah and it's you know it's it that's that's what was being observed so that was yeah. what you know that's, that it was, was honest like, i'm sure yeah. yeah and i i think i think also part of it at, at least is that 
if you if you're part of New York, like like Roger's arc is that he does leave. He leaves oh, in the yeah. movie. In the movie, they <laughs> they they that. kind of brush. Well, they like it's like eight seconds in the movie. It's weird. It, it's very weirdly done in the movie. To be completely honest, especially because like the movie has more time than the stage show yeah. to to display this entire thing if they wanted to. But really, you get eight seconds of, like, Roger went to Santa Fe. He oh, my God. Apparently... I used Santa Fe, like, totally stupidly as an example. I didn't no, do that it, intentionally. No, it's like a, a whole big song. I remember the... that now. Maybe um, it was subconscious. So he, he goes there alone, which the entire, they romanticize it as a group, as, like, if we all went. You know how people do that? They sit around and go, like, we'll yeah. escape this hard life and we'll go do whatever whatever extravagant um, idea that we have. Open up a bar where we're going to open up a restaurant, whatever it yeah. is. But they, they do that. and But then Roger ends up going by himself on his own whim. And it's, you know, it's not idyllic. It's not what he, I guess, imagined in his head. In the film, it's like eight seconds of him standing on a rock somewhere, and then he goes back to New York. But <laughs> it's like a weird also, montage. the price of cars and guitars is really questionable in this oh, fucking Does film. he sell his guitar for a car? He sells his guitar for a car, and then sells that same car and gets a guitar again. <laughs> so, like, what the fuck are the prices of... <laughs> I have oh. always wanted to speak to Jonathan Larson about <laughs> what he thinks the guitar to car currency rate conversion is. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> I, it must have been a hell of a guitar. Yeah. Or like a really dangerous car. Well, yeah, but the car couldn't have been that bad if it was able to make it that far because that's a long ass drive. Yeah. What and, do you mean and, by a bus ticket? Did he buy a bus ticket? I don't know. I just, I'm just saying why not Greyhound it. I don't know because selling, I think, I think honestly selling the guitar was supposed to be meaningful in some way. It was like giving up on Yeah, it was some gift of the dream magi bullshit. We've all heard it. For, but you know, it could have been a little bit more dramatic. It, it lasted for eight seconds, but yeah. Let's talk about the ending. Oh, the ending. Okay. I know. Um... So here's what I remember, because I only watched it once, and it was a lot of years ago, and I was, like, burnt out by the end. Okay. Mimi is looking for attention. Wow. <laughs> Climbs on top of a table. <laughs> wow. And shoots up. <laughs> wow. Roger, which is a weird name, because I can only think of Doug. Sells his guitar so that he can have enough power to apparate magically into the room, which is his own apartment, where she has mm -hmm. decided to just pretend like that's where she's shooting up. It's just like no big deal. Yeah. Um, and then she dies. And I think it it either takes too long or they find her that way. Either way, it's like super melodramatic. And then everybody magically from the entire cast happens to be in the apartment at the same time and lighting millions of candles. And then they do a necromancy <laughs> ritual, which takes the length of a song. And then she wakes up and she doesn't have AIDS anymore and she's no longer addicted to heroin. 
The okay. end. Well. So. <laughs> First of all, I do like the necromancy aspect. I would yeah. appreciate that addition. All right. So what actually happens is that Roger comes back and learns that no one's heard from Mimi in a while, including Benny, who had been an asshole who, like, strong-armed her into dating him by threatening her and then by also um, insinuating that because she was a stripper that she would sleep with him in front of Roger. And it was a whole big thing. Anyway, so Benny's an ass. But even Benny was concerned, like, that she disappeared. They're calling the club. She hasn't shown up for work. Uh, she hasn't been by the clinic. She's not picking up her medication. What's a while? How long? Like a couple of weeks, which oh, okay. in terms of, yeah. So how long it takes to get go to Santa Fe, change your mind, and come back? Yeah. So basically <laughs> in that time period before, like basically since their altercation at, at Angel's funeral. Mm. where So Roger's meltdown is that he moves to Santa Fe and like has a really interesting relationship with guitar swapping um hers is that she gets back uh you know into her drug life when is she dating benny before or after angel dies like so uh before angel dies roger breaks up with her because benny puts on this whole scene where he's like you um where so so all right oh god so mimi can, tries to go convince Benny to unlock their apartments, like uh, to let them get back into their to apartments. To let them live for free. Which Benny had already agreed to have done and then went back on. That was a big part of it. Benny had, upon them moving into this apartment, told them that they were going to be living there for free. Well, and then I went mean, back like, that's, on it. How long is that going to reasonably last? You Obviously, know, that's don't not going to last forever. Don't make insane promises like that if you're, you know. No. So it's totally had, reasonable that they should start paying rent after living there for free for like two years. So Benny had told them that they were going to live there for free. Benny changed his mind because his girlfriend wanted to buy the property. His girlfriend's father wanted to buy the property. Sounds reasonable. So Benny comes down to kind of convince them to like make a deal to to you know organize this. They refuse because the deal involves evicting a lot of homeless people from a lot nearby. Whatever. That's not why they refuse. They refuse because they don't want to get jobs. They have jobs, but no, they don't. But. You know, that is, it's admittedly a huge part of it, especially for Mark. Um, Which one's that's Mark? That's his shtick. Mark is uh, Anthony Rapp, the self-insert for Jonathan Larson. Oh, the observer the camera character. guy. Camera guy. Oh, right. And then he gets a job for like one day and he's like selling out. He gets a job. He does, he does like several shows for Buzzline, which is like, I think would be like TMZ. Fuck if, TMZ. if I had to, oh, oh, right. if I, if I had to like make it a real life thing, I think it would be like TMZ. It's kind of gossipy, but it has real bits to it. It has, you know, some reality in it, but it's very much a gossip show. That's fine. So, so he films the protest on that and he gets kind of famous. And then Sarah Silverman is there. She's in the movie. She's perfectly cast as as the agent for Buzzline. 
Oh. I love I her. In general? I really, I really yeah. love her. Yeah. I'm just, I was really excited for her to be there. I can see um, you loving Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Well, because in the play, that's one of the characters you never see. You only mm. hear about them. Yeah. And in the movie, you get to see them, and it's just a perfect. I guess um, she's okay. I, all right. So, so then Benny is now concerned about Mimi. They're all concerned about Mimi. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's disappeared from the club. She's yeah. not picking up her medication, blah, blah, blah. She OD'd two well, weeks prior. Roger came home. Roger came home. Him and Mark are in their apartment as normal. And as normal, it, it's, it's juxtaposed with the beginning of the show. Collins again comes home from his latest you know teaching gig or whatever the fuck is collins tom collins angel's oh okay partner okay so he asked them to throw down the key same as last year it's like a year later from when the play had started he comes up there he's celebrating now that like he uh, is doing a new program at mit um and that also he is rigged an ATM locally to, to give out free money to homeless people. You know, the usual shit. So anyway, so the three of them are like actually celebrating for the first time again. And then Mimi and Joanne shout up from the street level that they found Mimi in a par- in the park. Mimi and Joanne shout out? Maureen and Joanne shout out. Maureen and, okay. yeah, did I, is that what I said? Okay, so uh, Maureen and Joanne show up okay shout up to the apartment that they need help because they have Mimi there she's sick freezing probably withdrawal uh like all kinds of things she's incoherent so they bring her up and then Roger sings the worst song of the entire play uh to her it's it's, it's really long too it's really long it's really bad However, it's literally a tr- like a transcribed version of the Musetta's Waltz to new lyrics. Uh, so it's it's poignant to what the play is supposed to be an homage to. All right. But it's a bad song. I'm just going to say it's a bad song. Can we song. just call it a necromancy spell? Yeah, it's a necromancy spell. Cool. So... Then it does. I mean, honestly, Mimi Marquez has no real reason to wake up and for her f- fever to break, but yeah. she just does anyway. And she wakes up and she, you know, feels, you know, alive again. And it's it's wonderful. But the the point is that the this show is about these the struggles of the people in this in their day to day and that there's not really a happy ending. The happy ending is that yeah, Mimi's probably still going to die. She's going to need extensive rehab at the very least. And can she afford that? Probably not. Mark's probably going to move back to Connecticut and Maureen's going to keep cheating on Joanne. Like there's no, you know, there's not really like a whole lot of, of super happy ending to that. But it's still overall, it's I, I think it's a really good and important play. I think it's very important also for moving towards queer representation in mainstream media and 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 telling queer stories 
Avalon because it's really hard. I will t I will tell you it's 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 not like super easy to absorb through the movie. The movie I think is is decentish, yeah. but it still misses a lot. But I think in terms of of getting like the emotional impact of it, I think something that would be great for you to listen to and for everybody to listen to is Anthony Rapp did a uh, musical memoir about because he was the he was the first actor that that he was not only the first actor that was cast by Jonathan Larson, but he was also the character he was cast as the character that Jonathan Larson like inserted was, yeah. into himself. And Anthony Rapp was still coming out of the closet to his family while that sounds uh, fun. While that was happening, yeah. And as many people will know, Jonathan Larson died before he got to see Rent make it to Broadway. I didn't know that. Uh yeah, they they had they had been extremely successful off Broadway and he he would have he would have heard the news probably a couple of days later. Um but he died off stage. It was uh because he was sudden. It was very sudden. No, he had um like a a neurological undiagnosed thing. He died yeah. very suddenly. Um That's fucking intense. Yeah. And so Anthony Rapp kind of went through the entire building blocks like uh, process with him. Yeah. Uh and so his memoir is I uh, it's beautiful and at the same time like as he was going through this his mom was battling cancer like there was there's so much that Anthony Rapp's story entwined with rent was so poignant so honestly if you I, that sounds i can't recommend it enough yeah. it's called without you um and were they in a, love no no uh jonathan larson was straight anthony rap was uh was in a relationship one his first serious one uh, and had just come out to his mom like during the the like rehearsal stages of it would be so much better if they were in love though yeah, I think I think true to his, the character that he wrote, Jonathan Larson really was like the he really felt outside of this, you know, bubble that he was watching. And he and he was watching people suffer and he wanted to write about that even though he was I think cuz it's interesting because all the people close to him all report that they never knew anything about him being sick, but I feel like just yeah. based on the character he wrote about him being like, I don't know, I feel like he probably knew. Yeah. And he didn't, he was not, all these characters were not taking care of their illnesses and not, you know, I don't know. And I, I, I just think that he, he maybe knew. I am so glad that you had the experience of seeing that show when you did. I did see it again years later with... What wound up being like a partial cast, like uh, uh, Idina Menzel was still in it, and probably a couple other people. But I then that at that time I saw it with my family, and I felt very yeah. <laughs> uncomfortable because I still felt that urge when like the crowd started like cheering for 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 gayness. Yeah. I was very I was very tempted, but my family was like hmm. <laughs> like next to me like. Ruff. But the, nothing will be, no, the full uh, Broadway cast. And we got to do a Q&A with them afterwards. And Ryan, what? I'll never forget, Ryan got to walk up to 
Anthony Rapp and gave him a hug and like Ryan was wearing the same fucking scarf as him and Anthony Rapp was like you remind me of me when I was a teenager and like for Ryan that was like yeah huge and for Ryan's Um, girlfriend too (laughs) and for Ryan's girlfriend who was I mean she I hope she's figured it out by now so (laughs) so we're we're gonna be good it's just it's just a a huge it's just a huge deal that show and also you know Jonathan Larson's story is tragic to not like see the success of of something yeah. like that uh, is is really heartbreaking and I don't know I just I love it I love Brent I love Brent I know I love everything you're saying about it except for it it <laughs> you just don't love the show itself I just don't love which the is show. fine I'll see I just it wish... whenever it comes back like Angels in America did I'll see it oh well you you miss so many good things in the movie like contact contact is one of my favorite moments in the uh, show it's totally cut out of the movie and I don't know how else to describe it there's no way to describe it to you it's it's there's no like aliens lyrics I I wish yeah um Jodie Foster Foster, so Jodie Foster's father is an (laughs) alien that's the premise of rent uh I mean, oh God, though, can we talk about that medicine cabinet scene in the beginning? One of the best cinematography moments of of all time. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've definitely seen that movie and I was not just making a reference that I didn't fully understand. Oh, okay. So anybody who's seen Contact. (laughs) Which is everyone. You know, I'm not going to go Especially me. I own it on Blu-ray. Do you know what Blu-ray is? It's like DVDs, but better. Okay. It does sound like you just made up the word Blu-ray. I'm not heard entirely it convinced a... that Blu-rays aren't made up. <laughs> just as an excuse to make you buy your DVD again. I but think that's really, what it's killed still Steve a DVD. Irwin. Yeah. Diana, don't talk about Steve Irwin. He would want to be talked about. He's a legend. Don't a make him a butt man. of a joke. I think Diana, you know, if Blu-ray... he hadn't pulled it out, he would still be alive. What? Is that real? Yeah. That's true? Yeah. That's fucked. He bled out immediately, but he would have been fine if he had left it in, and they would have gotten him to the hospital. That's so weird. I feel like he would have known that. It was instant. It was like, there's a thing, pull. Like. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Instinct. Yeah, you can't You can't fight that. Oh, God. Now wow. I feel bad. Who knew we'd wind up here in in this episode of Femsplain? <laughs> I don't know. This whole thing's been a real fucking downer. <laughs> I think that this was inevitably where it was going to end. In Steve Irwin's death. Yes. (laughs) Okay. But you know, he would not have died not only if he hadn't pulled it out, but also if those fucking privileged kids had just paid their fucking rent. (laughs) Steve, now introducing... uh, This is my rent fan fiction. played by Steve Irwin. Yeah. They set into motion... A series of events, much like a butterfly, creates a tsunami that caused his death. Yeah, Ashton Kutcher. So, all right, so do you have any questions, I guess? We haven't really done questions in this in this episode. I've actually really appreciated the amount of explanation around the topic in this episode. Yeah, I actually did explain shit. Yeah, it was novel <laughs> and it was nice. Do you know... Or do you have the context for 
its influence in terms of Broadway and musical theater, not uh, not about queer topics, but like rocking it up. Like, do you think that that was a thing? Oh, interesting. Because um, I would think it would have to be because it like won everything. Yeah, yeah, the rock opera thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other rock operas that made it big. Mm, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm thinking there were a lot of shows that did new groundbreaking um, formats after that. Not necessarily the rock opera, but like we had a lot of things like like Stomp happened and like right. and like oh god, what the fuck was it with the puppets? Fucking I don't know. <laughs> Avenue Q. Thank you, Avenue Q. I didn't know that so, had puppets in it. I it just know puppets. that it was, oh. it was just puppets. It was just puppets uh, doing a musical. So, like, I guess maybe. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, so indirectly, it's it led to new formats or like new new no, approaches no. to musical now theater. I have to maybe I don't know. This. I I mean you know it, it the whole look. I love to suck the dick of Sondheim and Cole Porter all day as much as the next last. Yeah, everyone loves but, Sondheim. But that style of musical theater kind of has died out. And I think at the very least, Rent is a part of that transition away from... Cats. Cats style of musical theater and to have, have different approaches to it. What I was going to say... Is that if Rent inspired Avenue Q, then Rent indirectly is responsible for Jeff Dunham. Wow. That's that's a horrible use of the transitive property, and I want to arrest you. Yeah. I stand by it. <laughs> I, I, I'm so, <laughs> so offended. I can't. And if you think about Jeff Dunham's comedy, each one of Which his I puppets. Which I try not is, to. <laughs> each one of his puppets, I think, resembles a character from Rent. Okay. Well, yeah. we're going to audience <laughs> please tell me which characters from rent uh represent which, which jeff, dunham, jeff puppets. dunham puppets yeah please please i'm begging you i'm really looking forward to that i don't know if that'll happen but i wanted to yeah so jeff dunham <sighs> yeah original cast of rent uh-huh opening night gets replaced by this anthony rap guy Jeff Dunham never lives it down. Never forgives himself. Mm-hmm. Voila. There it is. That's the Jeff Dunham origin, origin story, story. We were that no one asked for. Uh, <laughs> now we know it. Wonderful. Great. Um, all right. So, who boy. Um, I feel exhausted. I feel like I need to go watch Rent. Um, I, I feel like I want to sing it a lot. And I feel like, all right, so what I want, I can't have. Because what I really want is for you to watch it live on Broadway. Right. I I can watch a tape of it. There is, actually. There's a great live recording. So with the two actors that were recast for the film were Mimi Marquez because of the pregnancy. But also Joanne was recast. And the actress who played Joanne in the film, I don't know why she was recast. Who's Joanne? The actress that, 
me, uh, uh, Maureen's nice girlfriend that deserves better? Have I asked this question like three times in this episode? No, you haven't. You haven't asked this one at all. We haven't talked wait, about wait. Joanne at all. Who shows Joanne? up to say that Mimi is dead in the park? It's me, it's Maureen and Joanne. Yeah. They're back together and they find her in the park. And Got it. They, I think I definitely yeah. have asked this question already. <laughs> all right, so okay. Joanne... So Joanne is the level-headed lawyer who's totally normal and and deserves better than Maureen. Yeah. So anyway, she was recast, but the woman cast as her in the movie has then since become the the actress that's played her on Broadway and in multiple other shows going forward. Mm. Uh, since then, so there's a live cast recording with her. Um, that's really well done. It's really well recorded and it has everything in it. it. There's no, you know, you won't be missing anything. You'll see every number and, you know, it's it's good. But it's, it is it is or is not the original cast? It's not the original cast. Uh, well, that's what I want to see. There's no live recording of the that original cast. That doesn't make any sense. It, like, I mean, won too many awards for that to be true. I know, but they, they didn't. You know, they didn't used to do that. They didn't have videos yet? They used to do that because when I was in daycare, I had to watch an old-ass copy of Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury, like, every day. So tell me they they didn't do that. No, I'm not saying they didn't do it. What about that Peter Pan with a lady on the cover? Mary Martin? So, okay. Uh, First of all, that was... It is old but it is it wasn't a broadway live recording that was that was a, a studio recorded oh really uh, a show yeah i never watched it i just always made fun of the cover with my friends. first of all watch it mary martin is a vision it's perfect the shadow puppet scene in the beginning i'll kill you avalon this is great you need to watch it mary martin's peter pan is a is a vision anyway Anyway. What I would like is for you to watch any live recording of of Rent. I'll send you that one. Um, ideally, I would love for you to see Rent live, but I know that that's not real. So you and Francis can put it on for me. Yeah, me and Francis will do two man show of a six person ensemble cast. That's good. Play. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fine. We're good. Do you have any questions for me about Rent? What do you... All right, you watched the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Was there anything about it that you did like? Uh, some some character, some... I liked Angel. Yeah, Angel's good. Yeah, I liked Angel and Angel's partner. Collins, yeah. And there's probably a song I liked, but I don't remember. I liked it when um, Maureen's character got hit by a bus graphically. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Are you And I like looking at Rosario Dawson. Girls? Yeah, yeah, Rosario Dawson was like I just look at her, you know, that's fine. Um Yeah. I liked that it reminded me of a good musical movie based on La Boheme. Which is Moulin Rouge. I'm very conflicted right now because I also love Moulin Rouge. But I feel like saying that is me being baited into saying that Rent is not a good representation of La Boheme. Rent just reminded me of modern adaptations or things inspired by La Boheme. And then I was like, ooh, Moulin Rouge is a movie that I would rather be watching right now. Rent also reminds me of my favorite 
musical and one of the best movies of all time, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, yeah. Which I did just look up and came out two years after Rent and probably means it was inspired by Rent on some level. It 100% was. Well, maybe it could have come out. If it came out first, I would have been really happy. It's just two years. No. Anyway, if you want to talk about a fucking theater writing genius whose name is Jonathan, Jonathan Cameron Mitchell's over Jonathan Larson any day. Wow. All right. That's that's going to be an episode. I want to hear you go off about uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I can talk about it for a while. Yeah, I want to hear that. I, I also kind of want to talk a lot at length about Moulin Rouge because I will, I will never forget. You know what? Yeah, let's do a Moulin Rouge episode. I can't wait to find out what you'll never forget. Yeah, you're going to find out next time on fucking Pimp's Plane. So, let's pause play them. Okay. I'll be Satine, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Obviously you will. Obviously, I'll. You'll be to lose. Gonna say that I was gonna say I'll be to lose. Yeah. Be the narcoleptic Argentinian. No. Oh, you're not the narcoleptic Argentinian. I maybe should be the narcoleptic Argentinian. No, you're definitely to lose. <sighs> That's fine too. Is to lose the sitar the instrument? Yeah. No, he's the dwarf. Yeah, he plays by... the sitar no, in doesn't. the play that oh. they put on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't don't act like I don't know what I'm talking no, about. No, I forgot that part. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're the sitar. I'm the sitar. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Excellent. Oh, God, Avalon, that's rent. We're... My we're, advice we're for people when it comes to rent, skip the movie... Maybe listen to the soundtrack and pay your rent or else you'll become addicted to heroin. Yeah, this is Avalon with life tips here at Femsplained. <laughs> pay your rent and don't do heroin. Yeah. I happen to agree, definitely. Yeah, I don't feel like that was too out of line, that advice. No, no, no. Very, very uh, mainstream advice. Anywho, please send us stuff i want lots of stuff i, I don't want, want any shit from you i do i love it all um hold on let's try you. to remember all the stuff you requested this episode rent characters jeff dunham puppets i know you asked for something else rent was it just rent stories oh yeah i definitely want to hear what rent meant to you when you first saw it or when you first heard about it um, I want everybody to just go ahead and email in and confirm that they know what the worst lyric from the movie is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Please, just, I can't wait to get a bunch of emails that just say Spanish babies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. The, no, the whole line is worse. What is the whole thing? Like, where the Spanish babies cry. The Spanish babies cry. I just made it very country, and that's not, like... It's probably an improvement. But... Why are the Spanish? Why why do we? Why are the babies Spanish? She can't sleep. She can't because she is a a, a a Spanish person living in you know New York City. How does she Spanish know neighborhood. the ethnicity of the babies crying? She's saying that 
it reminds her of home because hearing Spanish babies crying reminds her of her. I life feel like home. the implication is that the babies are crying in Spanish. <laughs> I don't think that that's the implication <laughs> at all. And there's something about their cry that lets her know that they have Spanish-speaking parents. I think she just knows because she lives in that neighborhood. But she doesn't know. She doesn't know all no. the babies there are from Spain. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I could go on, but How about I feel the like the babies crying, some of whom come from Latinx households. E- Yes, I think that that maybe doesn't fit into a song, but like I think I think yeah, get it in there. Oh. God damn it, Jonathan Larson, baby. How dare baby. you? <laughs> just uh, you, I just called you baby because I because I got caught up. I'm in the okay Spanish with it. Oh, Finally, we're past that baby. landmark. Um, <sighs> Diana. Yes, I have to. I have to end this because I have to go get some sleep before the spanish babies wake up yeah and start, and start waking crying you up. yeah that's fine i have to go straight to bed immediately good luck with all those spanish babies around i know they're not gonna let me sleep all right oh. avalon thank you for what what oh no go i was gonna say thank you for letting me really really like go off about rent yeah, thank tonight. you for this totally is... ruining any chance I had of being funny and shitty. You <laughs> With were your so funny extremely <laughs> emotional and heartwarming <laughs> and amazing <laughs> journey. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to ruin things with my g- genuine feelings. Um, but <laughs> you can still hang out with us at Femsplained, uh, you know, in between now and the next episode. Yeah. You can yeah. do that on Instagram. Probably, honestly, the best. I think that's the only thing we're active on is Instagram. That's not true at all. I tweet a lot. And it's at Femsling Podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't know because I don't open the Twitter app because I just don't have the energy oh for more God, social Ramona. media. Take a chill pill. So <laughs> we, I, <laughs> so, so we're at Femsplain Podcast on Instagram. We're at Femsplain Cast on Twitter. We're at Femswing Podcast on YouTube, at oh. Femswing Podcast on Facebook, uh, and we're all over this shit. Um, really, just Femsplained Podcast. Um, we are not the Femsplained Podcasters, just by the way. Those are famous people, and that's dumb. Yeah, and also uh, we had this name first. Sorry. Yeah, I know. And I they kind of feel after like us? they. I did a lot of Googling before we picked a name to make sure we weren't ripping anyone off. And guess what? If you Google, really easy to find us. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that they are, like, sponsored by BuzzFeed. So, you know, give us money. They're they're sponsored uh, by BuzzLine. And uh, that's really shady. And I think that, you know, they're just in it for a quick buck. Is Buzzline something that's ripping off BuzzFeed? Or is Buzzline the name of that stupid thing from that thing we just talked about? God damn it. Don't pull it back around like that on me. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, um, you know, you can interact with us on those things. You can also email us, please. Femsplainedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who's emailed. I mean, what emails? 
Hmm? I've never seen these emails, Diana. You never tell me <laughs> about them. I've given you the password. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Forgot. You can just log on yourself. No, just tell me. Okay, I'll just tell you about them. Um, but no, I love I love getting those emails. I love getting pictures. I, I, if you send in pictures? more pictures of turtles, memes about anxiety, uh, I will be putting them up on the Instagram on our story, and I am going to save them all. So please, I love that the most. So Does anyone continue. ever email like, wow, Avalon was so right about that thing she said, and Diana was like, not quite right. <laughs> Does anyone ever email and say, Avalon is so funny? Most of the time people email and say, like, you're both wrong. <laughs> really? Well, we did get one today on Instagram. We got a DM today telling us that we were wrong about Sailor Moon. Fuck you. <laughs> what were we wrong about? I don't know, because I don't, I, that was not my topic. What were we wrong about? Get your phone out. Mine's in the other room. <laughs> okay. Sailor Moon Usagi. Yeah. Is annoying, but she is me. Cry face, cry face, cry face. Oh, that's some also shit. later in the series she gains more agency. Season one, she is definitely a big old baby. I definitely did not respond in my mind to inaccuracies at all. Laugh face, laugh face. So laugh we've face. only alluded to inaccuracies. We have not called yeah, out we have specific not inaccuracies. Pointed them out. No, we don't know what they are. I would like to hear more though. Avalon's making a face like she's ready to throw down. <laughs> and I hope, I hope, I hope we get to see this. I actually, if, if it's fruition. done, because that sounds like an awesome listener who engaged and is really nice. I'm just being sassy. Um, if it's done in a non-shitty way, I'm really open, actually, to people pointing out the things that we fuck up so that we can, like, address them. Oh, yeah. I mean, Coheed and Cambria fucking directly uh, did so in exactly the non-shitty way that I want. Um, yeah. Just because it gives me a funny opportunity to, like, engage with what we did wrong and why I thought it was the wrong thing. Yeah. We'll see with Sailor Moon. That one's hitting, hitting pretty know. close. Um, All right. <laughs> All right, <laughs> listeners. All right, listeners. Goodbye. Go pay your rent. Uh, pay your rent. Pay Femsplained. Pay us for our emotional labor. Yeah. Did did you get an undercut? What? Oh, I thought you had an undercut. I've literally always had an undercut. Really? Yeah, it's just a little grown in right now, but this is literally... I didn't know that's what was going on with your hair. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just, like, asymmetrical. Oh, no, no, no. It's it's, it's a mohawk. Wow. It's long. Yeah. You're so cool. Yeah. Wow. See me... See me. Yeah. <laughs> See me. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. All right, Jesus Christ, go to sleep. Fish. Goodbye. Bye.